Chapter 17 of Quest of the Golden Ape by Randall Garrett. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Quest of the Golden Ape. Chapter 17 The Prison Without Bars. No one tried to stop Bram Forrest until he reached the very gates of the amphitheater. But there a guard with drawn whipsword barred the way and demanded, You don't look Nadian to me. What delegation are you with, man?" Bram Forrest had no time to parry words with words. He tried to push his way past the guard, who, too surprised to thrust with his weapon, used his free hand to grab Bram Forrest by the shoulder and spin him around. Bram Forrest drove his left fist into the guard's belly, and heard the whoosh of air escaping from his lungs. That was the last thing he heard for some time. A second guard crept up quietly behind him and struck expertly with the hilt of his whipsword just behind the left ear. Bram Forrest fell as if the ground dropped out from under him. "'By all the fiery gods of Tarth, will you look at that!' the first guard exclaimed. The second guard could only gawk, not comprehending. The unconscious man was growing tenuous. The first guard in confused alarm lashed down with the whipsword but its point passed through Bram Forrest's now transparent body without meeting any resistance. "'Right through him! Right through him!' cried the guard. And by the time he said it and coiled his sword again, Bram Forrest had vanished. When an urgent message had come for Retok, the Princess Volna, alone in the royal box, had decided to investigate the matter herself. She had to hurry, though. In not many minutes Retok and Bontark would find themselves face to face on the sands of the amphitheatre. Wouldn't Bontark be surprised? Too proud to flee, not swordsman enough to match the mighty Retok. "'Yes, yes, what is it?' she snapped irritably when she entered the dungeon-like ready-room below the amphitheatre sands. She was in a hurry to return to her box, lest she miss the duel between Bontark and Retok. Alone in the ready-room was a soldier in the uniform of a barrier. "'Begging your pardon, ma'am,' said the soldier, "'my message is for Retok of Abaria. "'And I tell you Retok of Abaria is not here to receive it.' Volna clapped her hands, and two of her own guards appeared. "'I am the Princess Volna. Well?' Pyram looked at her, at the armed guards flanking her on either side at the door through which she had entered, at the ready-room's second door. "'Very well,' he said at last, and opened the second door, beckoning. Volna went to the doorway and looked. She gasped involuntarily, hardly able to believe her eyes. There, on the stone floor of a smaller ready-room, only now regaining consciousness, was the virgin wayfarer of Ulfred, who had seen Retok Slage Lomek she who had been sent by Volna herself to sure death on the journey of no return. Terror gripped her. "'What does this mean?' Volna cried. "'Where did you find her? Where, man? Speak!' "'On the river, ladyship.' "'On the river? Returning from the place of the dead?' "'No, ladyship. Heading toward the place of the dead.' Volna went to the girl and stood over her. "'You! What's your name?' "'Ilya,' the girl said. "'What were you trying to do, Ilya?' The girl said nothing. Volna called to Pyram, who came at once. 
Hit her, Volna said. Grasping Ilya by her hair, Pyram struck her face with his open hand. Her head snapped back. The mark of his fingers was on her face. She said nothing. Hit her again, Volna said. Pyram struck Ilya a second time. The girl whimpered but held her tongue. Where is your friend, that giant of a man? Volna asked. Again Pyram hit Ilya when she would say nothing. Finally Volna shrugged. She'll talk, given enough of that. What's your name, man? Pyram, ladyship. Very well, Pyram. My guards and I are returning to our seats. There is a duel I wouldn't want to miss. All Tarth will reap its consequences. Meanwhile, stay with this girl and do what you must do to make her talk. It might be important." Pyram bowed. "'Yes, ladyship,' he said, and watched the others depart. Then, when they were alone, Ily surprised him by flying at him, nails bared, like a wildcat. He fought off her attack and struck her a savage open-handed blow, and she fell back. At least this, Pyram thought, advancing on her, might be an interesting assignment. Hit by that cab, Mac. You all right? He's getting up, ain't he? Geez, I swear, the sweating taxi driver said to the crowd which had gathered about the prostrate man. He popped up out of nowhere. One second I'm driving along, looking for a fare. The next, he's standing right in front of me. I almost pushed the brake through the floor, honest, but— Ilya, the stricken man said. Hey, now, take it easy. What'd he say, anyhow? Be going to a costume ball or something. Look at that outfit he's wearing, will ya? What's he supposed to be, a man from Mars or something? I read in the papers where Mars was pretty close a while back. My kid thinks there are— Ah, shut up about your kid. Need any help, mister? No, no thank you. I'm all right. Got a nasty crack on his head is all. See? See the blood? He's getting up. A cop. When you don't want them, they're around. Now you need them. Where in the heck are they? That's what I want to know. The bracelet, the stricken man said in sudden alarm. He stared at his own right arm in confusion, then his left. His arms were bare. You wasn't wearing no bracelet, Mac, someone said. No bracelet, he said. No bracelet. His eyes looked vague, confused. After a while, a policeman came and took in the situation at a glance. All right, all right, he bawled. Step back and give him air. Give him air, will you? The crowd dispersed slowly, and the policeman talked for a while with the taxi driver, then with the stricken man. My name? the stricken man said in answer to a question. Bram Forrest. Yes, Bram Forrest. But I don't have the bracelet. The bracelet is gone forever. Without the bracelet, I can't—' His voice trailed off. "'He drunk?' the policeman asked the cab-driver. "'Search me.' "'A prison without bars,' the man recited. "'Earth is my prison forever. Ilya! Ilya!' The driver made a circular motion with his forefinger in the general vicinity of his temple. "'You both better come down to the station-house with me,' the policeman said. Oh, officer, I'll lose some fares. Anyhow, the guy talks batty, but he don't look drunk. 
We got to figure this here out. Ilya, the man said, almost as if the sound were a name, and he was crying out to the owner of that name across an unthinkable abyss. Bontark, king of Nadia, felt as good as could be expected under the circumstances. Now that the first shock of bereavement had passed, he knew no mourning would bring back his dead brother Jlomek. And the son of Tarth was hot on the amphitheater sands, as Bontark stood awaiting his as yet unknown adversary. He flexed and uncoiled his whipsword, smiling in expectancy. He was a competent swordsman, among the dozen or so best in Nadia. The duel to first blood would be just what he needed. Win or lose, he'd feel a lot better afterwards. And meanwhile, he was a king, wasn't he? The adulation of the crowd swept down all around him, lifting his spirits. The corpse of Prince Jlomek, treacherously slain, seemed very far away, as indeed it was. A roar of expectancy went up from a hundred thousand throats as Bontark's adversary appeared at the other end of the arena. The sun was dazzling. At first Bontark saw the swordsman only as a dot across the gleaming sands. But now the roar of expectancy had turned to a groan of dismay, which was followed by a silence, as of death, then an eager whispered buzzing. Why should this be? Why? The figure came closer on the burning sands. Bontark squinted. Was it possible? He felt a tremor go through his body. It was Retok of Abaria. To the death, Bontark, Retok said softly, savagely, as they approached. Bontark shook his head imperceptibly. He was no coward, but he knew he was no match for Retok and didn't see why he should lay down his life on the amphitheater sands. I'll not fight you to the death, Retok of Abaria, he said. Retok shrugged, as if it weren't very important. Well, he said slowly, if you don't want to kill the slayer of your brother... Bontar charged, laughing, Retok was ready for him. Please, please, you're just wasting your time. I won't tell you. No, Piram said, panting. He saw the girl through a haze of anger, frustration, and desire. She was naked, her lips were bloody, but her eyes still flashed defiance. Piram, like most Iberians, was something of a sadist. Oh, you'll talk, he said. You'll talk. Never. He dug his strong finger cruelly into her tender body. Bram Forrest! she cried. The policeman behind the desk was saying things. Bram Forrest heard the droning voice, but not the words. Ilya, he thought, Ilya. A moment before he actually believed he heard her cry out to him in pain. But that couldn't be. Besides, what could he do about it? He was trapped forever on earth without the bracelet which could send him, almost on the wings of thought, back to Tarth, to Ilya, to his destiny. "'I love you, girl of Tarth,' he thought. "'I love you, Ilya, more than words and more than worlds.' Something whisperingly cold plucked at him, and for an instant his heart was stilled. 
Ilya! Could his love for the girl of Tarth draw him across the unthinkable abyss? Immodestly attired, and, the death sergeant was saying, Ilya, Ilya, call me. Draw me to you, girl of Tarth. Bram Forrest, help! Ilya, I hear you, I hear you. What the heck's he doing? Praying? the patrolman asked. For Bram Forrest was staring devoutly at nothing, staring at the air in front of his face, there in the mundane precinct room, as if it held a radiant vision. Suddenly the desk sergeant's jaw dropped open. The patrolman said, Hey, wait a mo. Bram Forrest was becoming tenuous, vanishing. Insubstantial, transparent, the image of Bram Forrest soared past the encampment of the Golden Apes. Bilanus, he called, and his voice was not insubstantial. Bilanus came at once. If the Iberian legions move, attack them, Bilanus. As you will, Bram Forrest. But you. Don't worry about me. I can control it. I can control it. Bilanus passed an enormous hand through Bram Forrest's body. I'll materialize when I find Ilya. She draws me." Already the vision was fading. Farewell, Bram Forrest. Farewell. Was it merely the sound of the wind along the banks of the river of ice? Bilanus wondered. Something struck Piram's shoulder. The girl crouched, sobbing, at his feet. Piram whirled. His face went white when he saw the man. He swung his fist desperately, and the man blocked it without effort. His arm was caught as in a vice. He screamed. Something snapped in his arm. Something streaked at his face. He took the blow from Bram Forrest's fist under the point of the jaw. His head snapped back against the dungeon wall, and memory and desire and lust and life oozed out through his smashed skull. Ilya! You came, Bram Forrest! I'll never leave you again. Yes, now, in the amphitheater, I think— Overhead the crowd roared. Bram Forrest listened for a fraction of a second and raced for the stairs. When word of the duel between Bontark and Retok came by courier to Logram, second-in-command of the Iberian army, under the missing Hultax, Logram decided it was time to attack. He gave the signal for his army to march on the city, and the signal was passed from signal fire to signal fire in the huge encampment. In a very short time the army's vanguard began to march. "'There's no force on all Tarth strong enough to stop us now,' Logrim thought exultantly. This day Retok would rule Tarth. He was right. There was no Tarthian army strong enough to stop them but the army of the Golden Apes which, after Bram Forrest's warning, had deployed itself at the very gates of Nadia City, so the people in the amphitheater might witness the battle, was not of Tarth. "'Well, Bontark,' cried Retok, "'can't you do better than that? Surely a king!' For many minutes now Retok, the finest swordsman on Tarth, had been toying with his adversary. He could have killed Bontark a dozen times over, but he waited, driving the Nadian ruler back, playing with him, 
making him do incredible gymnastics in order to survive, three times returning his whipsword to him when it had been torn from the Nadian's hands. All Nadia, and all the rulers of Tarth, watched spellbound. It seemed to them that the Nadian ruler had gone into the contest willingly. They made no move, and under the ethics that govern their world would make no move to stop the uneven contest. Retok's blurring sword-point whipped and flashed, drawing blood from a dozen superficial wounds. The smile never left Retok's face. Desperately, knowing his life was forfeit whenever Retok chose, Bontark parried the whip-lashing blade. Bram Forrest emerged into the dazzling sunlight of the arena floor. Squinting, he saw the figures across the sand. The men before him were Bontark of Nadia and Retok, slayer of his mother, destroyer of Ophridia. Retok saw him first and cried out exultantly. His wrist blurred, his whip-sword flashed, the point singing, and Bontark's sword flew from his fingers. "'You!' Retok cried. The sword-point had slashed an artery on Bontark's wrist. The blood spurted out, and Bontark stood there, dazed, holding the wound shut with his left hand. "'Are you all right, sire?' Bram Forrest asked. "'I can manage until a doctor binds.' Bram Forrest picked up the Nadian ruler's whip-sword and faced his enemy, sword to sword, at last. Retok looked at him and laughed. I almost killed you once, he said. His hand barely seemed to move, but the point of his blade, whipping, flashing, was everywhere. Bram Forrest parried desperately. I'll finish the job now, Retok vowed. Then Bram Forrest did an unexpected thing. He used the whip-sword not as a sword. He couldn't hope to match Retok's skill as a swordsman. He used it as a whip is used, his great arm slicing back and forth through air, up over his head and down, the long length of the uncoiled blade whipping and darting like something alive across the sands. Retok retreated two steps and lunged with what he hoped would be a death-blow. Procleon the Seneschal was trembling so much he could hardly stand. Just outside the amphitheater, in the very shadow of the amphitheater wall, the great golden apes of legend had materialized. There were thousands of them, and they were three times the size of men, and methodically, and with great ease, they were destroying the Iberian army before it could enter the amphitheater. Without the Iberian army, Volna and Retok would never subjugate Nadia, never rule Tarth. But Procleum the Seneschal had committed himself to their cause. Now only death awaited him. Or had he committed himself? Couldn't he change sides before it was too late? Couldn't he slay Volna here in the royal box for all to see? Couldn't he become a hero of the people? He was confused. He wished he could think clearly, but he was more frightened than he had ever been in his life. There was something wrong with his logic. Something... well, no matter. Slay Volna first, call her traitor, and then worry about his logic. He turned away from the wall and marched down the flights of stairs between the citizens of Nadia, flanked in two wildly shouting mobs on either side of the aisle, 
and plunged a knife into Volna's back, killing her instantly. The people roared and rose up. Like a tide they swept toward Procleum, the seneschal who had wanted to be prime minister. "'No, no!' he cried. "'No, please! You don't understand! I see it now, what was wrong with my thinking. You don't know yet. You don't know. To you she was still the Princess Volna, loyal, true. You don't understand, please!' The wave rolled over Procleum the seneschal, leaving him battered and bloody and dead in its wake. The strong whipping motion of Bram Forrest's arm made a wall of steel of his whipsword. Try as he might, with all the skill at his command, Retok could not dent that wall. But, he thought, there was another way. Slowly, desperately, he maneuvered Bram Forrest back toward Bontark who was sitting in the sand and using all his remaining energy to hold the lifeblood in his veins, his fingers clamped, vice-like, about his own arm. Bram Forrest's arm blurred up, down, to either side. He wove a web of death. It was brawn against skill, he knew, and the strength of his arm might win. Retok was sweating. Retok was not the cool swordsman he had been moments before. Desperately, Retok sought an opening and found none. True, his superior footwork was forcing Bram Forrest back across the sand, but what did that matter? Last time they dueled, he had made the mistake of meeting Retok on his own grounds as great a swordsman of Tarth. This time, his legs caught against something. He fell heavily. Retok's sword point flashed down. Bram Forrest rolled over, stood up with sand blinding his eyes. For precious moments he could see nothing, but could only spin with the whipsword, slashing air in all directions, hoping Retok couldn't strike through the wall of steel. Then slowly vision returned to his stinging eyes. Bontark lay stretched out on the sand now, unconscious, the blood pumping from his severed artery. If he bled like that for more than a few moments he would die. If he died, and if Nadia rose in its wrath against Abaria, then all that Bram Forrest had dreamed of, not revenge against Abaria for a wrong done, but eternal peace on Tarth, would be lost. He took the offensive, weaving his wall of steel toward Retok. The Abarian thrust his own sword, and withdrew it, and parried, and lunged and thrust again. The wall of steel which was Bram Forrest's singing blade advanced relentlessly. Round and round his head Bram Forrest whirled the whipsword. Retok could, just, block the motion, the death-laden circle with his own blade. He became accustomed to it. He used all his effort, all his skill, to block it. Then, abruptly, Bram Forrest raised his sword-arm and brought it down from high over his head. Retok screamed, and died screaming, his head and torso split from crown to navel. Bram Forrest rushed to Bontark, stretched out on the sand, and with his own hand stemmed the bleeding. By Lannis the Golden Ape said, All Tarth is yours to command if you wish it, Bram Forrest. No, by Lannis, take your people back to your world and live in peace. We of Tarth thank you. Pylanus smiled. I thought you would say that. 
Portox was a great scientist, Bram Forrest said. But he thought too much of revenge. The ancient wrong is righted. Then you'll spare Abaria? gasped the delegate of the assembled Tarthian nobles, who had come to the meeting called by Bylanus that night. My fight was with Retok and the Abarian army. Retok is dead, the army decimated and disbanded. My fight with Abaria is over. Then what will you do? Bram Forrest took Ilya's hand. I'd like to see a great nation rise again on the plains of Ofrid. Bontark, his arm bandaged, said, My people will help you build. And with your wayfarers as a nucleus, made Ilya. It will be a small nation at first, Ilya said. It will grow so long as Tarth knows peace, Bontark told her. Tarth will know nothing but peace from now on, Bram Forrest promised. It was a promise which he knew all of them would keep. The End of Quest of the Golden Ape by Randall Garrett